Radio in Ashland, a project of the Multicultural Association of Southern Oregon. Tune in to my show, Maya's Mix, every Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. You're listening to KSKQ LP, 94.9 FM, Community Radio in Ashland, a project of the Multicultural Association of Southern Oregon. It's the Alternative Show with Trevor Thomas. Welcome to The Alternative Show. My name is Trevor Thomas. You're listening to KSKQ 94.9 FM. Thank you very much for listening. Alternative Show is a show about uh, alternative music, old-time radio shows. Sometimes we play um, new, uh, we talk about new, new topics like uh, metaphysics, uh, movie reviews, things like that. And sometimes we do fake skits. Sometimes we have special guests. Today is one of those days. Um, we're going to be doing some, um, some more of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series. We're going to introduce you to some new music, play a couple of covers from... Um, from YouTube, and uh, and in a minute we're going to be talking about environmental sustainability with our special guest Ed Keller. But first, to set up the tone, here's something I found on a Greenpeace ad for you to ponder while we get set up. It's a quote: "It wasn't the Exxon Valdez captain's driving that caused the Alaskan oil spill. It was yours."
Okay, so uh, we are back, and uh, we're in here with our special guest, Ed Keller. Um, Ed, go ahead and... That would be me. Yes. Hello, Trevor. Hi, Ed. Does it uh, does the volume sound okay on your end? It seems just a little bit low in my ears, but I'll get used to it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know how to fix that on your end. I Quite apologize. right. <laughs> Quite right. I, I'm, I'm going to talk, so... Okay. It doesn't matter so much. So, yeah, so today we're talking about basically environmental stuff. Um, we're probably going to go on off a number of different tangents, but uh, I think we'll pretty much stick basically to the topic. And I guess I, I might as well let you start since you... Well, just to, because the, the little setup that you gave us with that Greenpeace quote, I thought that was a pretty powerful quote. Um, give that to me again, would you? Yeah, it, was, it wasn't the Exxon Valdez captain's driving that caused the Alaskan oil spill. It was yours pretty powerful statement yeah. you know that, that that responsibility really is on the shoulders of us right mm-hmm. and the, the the reason that that that, that the the valdez happened and certainly the things that we've most more recently seen in the in the gulf and some of the other spills that are not getting nearly as much press but there was a very large uh spill in where was it Minnesota, uh, one of the mm states yeah I don't um, know. anyway but it was you know it was the fifth largest i think um in the in the history and we didn't even hardly hear about it uh, there's also some large-scale spills happening uh, in the Orient right now. Again, mm-hmm. not getting very much press at all. And all of those are because of our cultural addiction. Uh, and and I haven't used that, been using that term addiction uh, very much because I kind of don't like it. It, uh, it connotates so many things that aren't necessarily true with what's happening with our culture because it's not a specific individual that's addicted, and that's really where addictions occur as in an individual. But as a culture, we're simply set up. We've simply evolved uh, to a level where we're set to take advantage of this amazing thing called crude oil. Mm-hmm. And that's and it's hard for it to replace. And there's so many conversations about, we just need to get onto clean resources right now, and we need to just do it yesterday. And I personally, as a lifelong environmentalist, totally agree that, yes, we need to be moving forward with these things right now. But it's really hard to do. Oil is incredible. That that battery, you know, it, if you will, that it's been it's charged for millions of years, and the way that it captured the energy of the sun through photosynthesis into plant matter, and then that plant matter being trapped beneath um, the surface of the the earth, based on a whole bunch of different reasons that trapped it, and then that to sit there and cook for all these years to create crude oil. One drop of crude oil has more energy in it then we can find any place else on the planet. There isn't another substance. It's not like we can just move from oil to one of the others. And we talk about that a lot with ethanol and some of the other you know, um, plant-based things. Nothing is nearly as good as oil. So it's not an easy addiction to break. It's not, it's not a, cl- you know, a quick answer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and that's where I get frustrated because I want us to have made that change yesterday, right? Yeah. Well, I think the problem is that we're not. It's not that we're addicted to petroleum and oil and stuff. It's that we're addicted to um, speed and speed. quickness. Mm-hmm. Just whatever the easiest answer is. Right. So obviously, these other choices require a lot more work. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to work to make um, to ethanol work and to make solar energy work. You got to develop the system. You got to make it more and more efficient. And it actually means that you have to do more on your end in order to make that particular system work for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's really the problem is that we're addicted to the simplest and easiest solution. That's right. Without all the extra work that comes with it. That's right. And and just you know that we're still on the the tail end of the industrial revolution. You know, you think about how fast it has been that we got to where we are, right? The, the we look back 2,000 years, which on the the scale of just this planet is a heartbeat, right? That's not very long ago, and you look back that we didn't have um, you know really mechanical um, uh, inventions and things till less than a thousand years ago, right? It's really just a few hundred years ago, relatively, a couple dozen, uh, that, that we really started working with these, with, with oil specifically. And then what we've done in that amazingly short amount of time to be able to create all of the products that we have. You know, sitting in a room like this, we look around and almost everything that your eyes fall on comes from oil. Almost everything 
Mm-hmm. All the plastics, right? All of the foams, the whole shooting match. Everything we look at has, comes from it. So, you know, right now you get so much press and the things that I'm really excited about personally, electric cars, what we can do, solar energy for our homes, our power sources, our energies. Yes, totally true. We need to be m- making those moves. But what about everything else? There isn't a good answer for plastic. Not at the levels that we use plastic throughout our entire culture. Um, just the medical industry uses so much plastic to just to keep us moving forward with the, what we consider, you know, uh, um, health care. There's plastics all through all of that, and that's all oil-based, and that is not going to be replaced in our lifetime by something that we just, you know, grew in, in Kansas. It's, it's just not going to happen. It's a much larger addiction. So that's where it can be, it can feel so, um, and here's my point I'm gonna, that I'm trying to come to, is that it's, it can feel so pointless for me, one individual, to do what I can do to make, to make it different, right? For me to buy a Prius instead of buying a Hummer, right? Okay, over the course of my owning that vehicle... I, you know, could, you know, personally save thousands of gallons of gasoline, right? Thousands in my lifetime or the lifetime of my vehicle with my vehicle, my vehicle choice right now. And that's a drop in the bucket. It's just a drop, right? But what I can do that's much larger than that is educate the people around me, educate my children, and help to educate the next generation after that. Not just about making choices with our personal vehicles, which seems to be getting all the press, right? This is where all the press is, is make a different vehicle choice and going for different fuels there. But all the way through our use chain, what else are we using? What products are we using? What packaging do we insist on having? Um, when we buy a, a bundle of of plums in a plastic box, you know. Have you seen how they're selling those nowadays? You know, fruit in a in a thin plastic box. Well, yeah, or like Starburst in a, you know a package and another package inside another package. Right, right. And and how? So so that's a great example. So what do I do about that? Right. I, I call up Starburst and just say, "Knock it off, you guys! Don't quit <laughs> triple wrapping my useless candies." Right. But probably doesn't do much good. But if I simply don't buy it ever. Right. Not just cut back. Yeah, cut back's one thing. But if we all just cut back on our Starburst addictions, <laughs> is that going to make any difference? Probably not. M&M's is going to, or whatever the parent company is, is going to keep cranking those out like mad. But if we actually stopped, and that's the only choice at this point, in my opinion, and I'm totally guilty of not being one of them that has made those dramatic changes in my lifestyle to make a real difference. And I'm pretty good. I recycle a lot. I pay a lot of attention to the goods that I buy. I spend a, uh, spend a lot of attention to my recycling and reuse, you know, the three R's, right? Reduce, reuse, recycle. Mm-hmm. I reuse like a madman. I, I, it's like every yogurt container has, has screws and nuts in it. Or, you know, I mean, <laughs> I, I really try to reuse everything. And I do pretty good at it. And I'm nowhere near what really needs to be done right. to, to make a shift. Yeah, I mean, when you look at, like, Ashland being a prime example, it's one of the most, you know, environmentally friendly cities out there. Yeah. When you compare it to other cities, you're looking at, you know, if you were to percentage it, and I'm just making up percentages here, I'm mm-hmm. guessing we're, like, like 20 or 40% more environmentally friendly than other cities out there. But when you look at the grand scale, I mean, that's still that's still a massive amount of stuff that we're wasting as a city. And this is an incredibly environmentally conscious city. Mm-hmm. I mean, really what it says to me is that no matter what, we're going to have to deal with the consequences of our actions. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no way to stop that from happening right now. Right. We can make it a much um, less of an impact. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, once those things happen, we can learn from them and try to make things better afterwards. Mm-hmm. That's really the only way to do it. I mean, it, we've pretty much screwed our future at this point yeah but you know it's to the degree that we've screwed it that that we're really working on at the moment (laughs) and and it's oh god there's so many ways to go in this conversation because there's so much to i found it fascinating when i traveled around last summer that like for example west virginia right it's a state a whole freaking state (laughs) right like basically and this isn't 100 percent true but basically west virginia doesn't have recycling 
That's a basic truth. It's not specifically true. They don't have recycling. None of the major municipalities have commingled carts. And here we are in some place like Ashland, where on trash day, on Tuesdays or Wednesdays, whatever your neighborhood is, you look down the street and everybody's got a commingle bin out. Well, every other week, right? Because you can collect commingle every other week. Right. And like virtually every house on a residential street has a commingle bin out. And that re- that represents a lot of recycling. And that's just happening without a big push. You know, we don't hear about it around here. It's not like anybody's out screaming and yelling about recycling around here. We just do it because in this area our culture has shifted to where it's almost you know, uh, unheard of to, to not to not have a recycle bin in your house. Um, you know, I know a few every so often I show up at a friend's house and they don't have. I'm like, "Where's your recycling?" Oh, we don't have one. And it's like, <laughs> "What? Are you kidding me?" But when I was in West Virginia last year, you know, I, I was looking, walking, I had water bottle in each hand, walking around, going, "Where's the recycle?" And people just looked at me like I was dumb. There right. is no such thing. Not just that you know, there's only one in town. There's none in mm-hmm. town. And that's, you know, an entire state. And so the, those education things, like I was mentioning before, it feels really important to me that I mention that um, here because there's the chance that somebody's going to be hearing me. It's important to me that I mention it everywhere I go, you know, mm-hmm. that there's the hope that that's going to educate people um, into making those shifts, making those changes. Um, I, don't, I don't know if it's going to make any difference, but we've come a long way, you know, since I was a kid, which was not all that long ago. I'm only 43 now. Um, but when I was a kid, there was no recycling. And so now to look down the street on Tuesday morning and see that virtually every house has a commingle bin out in front. Now, I don't know if that means we've reduced it all, right? Maybe we're just recycling. And even recycling is only a very small reduction in the actual waste that's created. That's right. And it takes huge amounts of energy to recycle. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, re- reutilizing um, plastics is a huge energy consumption and water consumption. Right. And water is the thing that I've recently been looking at as just being, I'm amazed, I'm mind blown with what some of the research that I've just gone through in the last three weeks um, around water. Yeah. Um, I. I, I won't. I won't do it any justice, but I'll try to give you forty-five seconds on how screwed up things are, um, if you don't mind. Sure. Just uh, over the course of the last month, I've been doing this. There was a, a large webcast that I was um, part of organizing, and the webcast was a water blessing ceremony. And so, for weeks, we put together a uh, a bunch of media, meaning little video clips and stuff, on all aspects of water. And so, I ended up sort of inadvertently researching this thing called water. Now, there was some fun metaphysical stuff with it. You mentioned that you have metaphysical things on your show, so right. I'll bring in a quick little metaphysical piece. Thank you. And that is, you may be familiar with Dr. Emoto, and he was really well known for a book that came out a few years ago called um, Hidden Messages in Water. And uh, as a uh, quote-unquote scientist, Dr. Emoto did some experiments with water, and specifically these water crystals. So taking water in a, in a laboratory environment and freezing it and watching how the crystals form, right? And um, according to his findings, he was noticing that water that was exposed to um, classical music, that when you froze the water crystals, they came out looking really pretty. And when you had water that you exposed to heavy metal or whatever the, the other example was, that the crystals came out not looking so pretty. And they weren't, you know, all symmetrical and cool little snowflakey looking thing. They were just frozen, ugly, sometimes downright ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, they extended that to go to thought forms. And so you just had water that was prayed over and love was sent to that bottle of water. Or the word love was literally taped to the outside of the jar. Um, versus a jar that had like hate or or prejudice or or um, disgust um, put you know put onto that water and looking at the water crystals how different they were now when we look at it scientifically there's a lot of holes in his theories and there's certainly a lot of very respected skeptics who say that that whole experiment was completely bonkers and there's no scientific backup on it I'm not claiming one way or the other what I do know is that by these experiments that he brought out into the culture, it gave us an opportunity to focus our intention, right? Because he's just talking about, do we want to love our water or do we uh, you know, just infuse it with love and believe that that's a good thing to do? Or do we want to infuse it with hatred or disgust and, and see the effect of that? And so I like it just as a, as a personal exercise in bringing my intention to water, 
right? Now, so that was the, the, the water ceremony, if you will, as a, a global way of us using that same intention focusing so that we as a collective community or culture can focus our intentions on healing the waters of the planet. Mm-hmm. Beautiful thing. Um, and I really support it, regardless of debunking the science or not. I think it's a great idea to bring people together like that. Then I started looking at what's real about water on this planet right now. And because we are, whatever it is, three-quarters water, right? When the surface of our planet is covered with water, there's a bunch of it. But of all the water in the, on the planet, only 3% of it is fresh water, right? So all of a sudden, you look at all this water, and so only 3% is fresh water, meaning life-giving to mammals <laughs> and plants and things that are not living inside the ocean. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, of that 3%, most of it is locked up in glaciers, <laughs> leaving down at less than 1% of the total amount of water on the planet is available to us at less than 1%. So that's a pretty small amount when you're thinking of it right there. And then of that 1%, we are now pumping out of the earth more fresh water than the aquifer can replace. And so we're actually literally um, uh, exhausting our supply of fresh water. And that, to me, was, was mind-blowing, you know, especially living here in the Pacific Northwest. It rains all the frickin' time, right? And there's rivers everywhere. And you'd think that when what we were taught in high school or in, in school was that whole water cycle. Evaporation happens, it becomes clouds, and it falls, and, and the whole cycle goes, and it cleanses things. We're, we're, we're taking more out of the earth than the aquifer can replace. We've wiped out, um, don't get me exactly, but it was something like 75% of the wetlands on the planet have been wiped out um, due to um, development. And that's the major place where water is cleaned on the in, in the natural environmental, is, is that those waters are cleansed in wetlands as it's returned back to the aquifer. And those are, seven, I think, 75% is what I read gone. And so we literally don't have as a planet the, um, the cycle to support water just at our current rates. And so in a very short amount of time, we're going to be up against a, a global water shortage that we, of that little itty bitty 1% um, uh, available to us, um, we're polluting it rapidly and, the, and we literally can't clean it fast enough um, as our population continues to grow exponentially. Um, so in our lifetimes, you're a young man, mm-hmm. in, in our lifetimes, we're going to see um, a dramatic shortage in water worldwide. Northwest is a good place to be. Um, there's other places that are a good place to be on the individual level. But on the global level, we're in trouble. Yeah, I grew up in you know Phoenix, Arizona, so I know a little bit about the water shortage problem. Yeah, you guys have had problems for a long time, huh? Yeah, it's definitely an issue. I mean, and that's not really something that a lot of people think about. I mean, we think about recycling, we think about taking care of our cars and getting you know less pollution in the air, but we don't often think about turning off the faucet or mm-hmm. you know taking baths instead of showers or things like that. Mm-hmm. And just these little things we can do to help conserve water so it doesn't become as big of a problem in the future. Yeah. Um, there's something I found online, these uh, these little straw filter thingies. They're like $10 each. There's some really, really kind of genius little thing. It's just a straw with a little filter attached to it, basically. Uh-huh. You just plug it in any water source and, and filters it out and lets you drink out of it. No kidding. I could see pretty much everyone on the planet having to carry around one of those types mm-hmm. of things fairly mm-hmm. soon here. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely an issue in, like, third world countries mm-hmm. and a lot of places, like... Well, you know, Iraq and places where they've got the major oil spills that are actually influencing the water system and, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and other problems that people just keep causing, you know, pollution yeah. and yeah. all that kind of stuff. That's definitely an issue in a lot of those places. So we're having to create this technology that just allows us to keep living the way that we've been living. And, you know, that, that future, I mean, that, that, um, that freedom is rapidly dwindling. Yeah. And us here, you know, in Western culture, you know, and I, as... I, I love my lifestyle. I, I'm really thankful um, that I live where I live and that I live the life that I live. And I know that, you know, every time I hit flush on that toilet, that I'm consuming, just right there with that one flush, about five times what most of the people on the planet consume all day long, mm-hmm. right, in one flush of your standard toilet. Um, it's, it's amazing how much water we waste over here in, in Western civilization compared to the rest of the planet right um and 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 again it's you know i haven't made any big dramatic changes 
yeah. you know, in my world, and yet I understand this and have for a long time. You know, it was the late '80s when I was working for Greenpeace and Calperg, Osberg, and worked in California and Colorado and doing some what I felt was important environmental work. Um, and marched off into my adult life feeling like I was really making a difference. And here I am now at 43, you know, looking 25 years later, looking back and saying, you know, wow, I've probably personally conserved a lot of, of water and re- recycled a tons of stuff. And, you know, just because I'm doing it, even if everybody else I knew was doing the same level, we're still nowhere near what needs to be done. It's true. And really, uh, honestly, the, the only way to make any sort of difference, any sort of dent, is what you were saying earlier, to educate people around you. And I think really just teach by example. Mm-hmm. That's the most important thing you can do in your life is to say, I'm going to make these changes. And hopefully by osmosis, mm-hmm. the people around me will be able to make these changes too, just yeah. by seeing me doing this stuff yeah. and realizing that it's actually an issue, issue that needs to be addressed. You know, it's amazing to me that the environmental movement started out as a fact. Like mm-hmm. maybe 10 years ago, something like that. It was just this big fad. I mean, they had the electric cars. They went under, you know, <laughs> pretty quickly. The, nothing lasted. It was just like, oh, I'm rich. I'm famous. I'm going to be environmentally friendly because it's the thing to do. And then maybe I'll adopt a kid from Haiti <laughs> and name him Leaf or something. <laughs> but um, but now it's a legitimate movement. And yeah. that, that gives me a lot of hope. The yeah. fact that nowadays people are actually taking it seriously and... Mm-hmm. You don't just walk around seeing people that are throwing trash around and not actually being conscious of the fact that they're, like, on purpose messing things up. Now, 100 years ago, people would have laughed at you if you, you, if you said, you know, the environment is an issue. Mm-hmm. They're like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. We just built this Model T Ford here. We've got tons <laughs> of oil everywhere. We're not going to run out, but... Mm-hmm. You know, people being people, we take over all the resources, we just keep multiplying, and I'm guessing people are thinking that there's other planets available as an option, (laughs) and that's really why... It, it, yeah. And it is hard on the individual level sometimes to, to, to see um, the shortages that we're talking about. Because every time I walk over to my tap and turn it on, water comes out every single time, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, you know, so I've been taught, you know, literally if, if kinesthetic learning, kinesthetic learning, you know, is, you know, is the way we learn by, by experience my entire life, every time, minus once or twice when things are broken, right? Right. I've gone over to the faucet, and it works. Flush the toilet, and it works. <laughs> Hit the light switch, and it works. Um, it's hard to see shortage mm-hmm. um, from our perspective over here in Western civilization. Right. Yeah. So I don't know if we hit a point in there, um, but it, it does feel like we've, we've bounced around some interesting points. I think so. Um, and this might be a really good place for us to um, come to a close of some mm-hmm. kind. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess if if you had any one final thought that you want to want to leave with people, yeah. what would what would that be? Well, um, I'm going to say I'm going to assume who could possibly be listening to this show would be somewhere inside of Western culture. Um, we're probably not reaching real deeply into third world countries with this particular broadcast. Oh, so I can always hope, though. We can hope, but given that, um, I think I just simply want to encourage people to not buy bottled water. Hmm. Um, except when it's really important, you know. There are times, certainly, buy some, you know, jugs, the larger jugs of water. If you're, you know, if you're going to be out where you need that, but in general, the bottled water um, uh, as a business is an issue. It's a problem. Huge plastic use, huge energy use, and a, a distribution of uh, the world's resource of water in a very unnatural way. Right. Um, looking at just, for example, Arrowhead water in Southern California. Billions of gallons of water pouring out of those mountains in Southern California that should be feeding the valley below um, and are, is just getting tapped off before put into little plastic bottles and shipped around the world, right? And so there's a very um, abnormal distribution of that incredibly important resource of water through the bottled water industry. Um, and it's a billion-dollar industry really based on fear. Why am I drinking bottled water instead of my tap water, mm-hmm. which has now been debunked completely? Um, uh, generally speaking, municipal water supplies are safer than bottled water, mm. um, generally. Of course, there's exceptions um, inside of um, developed, developed West, um, meaning United States, Canada, and most of Europe. Right. And um, so don't buy bottled water. If I had my one last thing to say. Knock it off. Get yourself a nice, you know, metal bottle, a glass bottle. Fill it up at your tap. Take it with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no reason to be buying bottled water routinely. Sometimes, okay, I get it. 
Right. And, and you know, in general, there's many, many small filtration systems you can mm-hmm. get for your home systems. Indeed. But, um, but really what you're saying is just try to be local as much as possible. You bet. Yeah, local water, maybe even local food, whatever mm-hmm. you can get your hands on. That's going to be one of the best yep. savers of, I mean, aside from the truck hours it takes to drive all this stuff that's to wherever right. you live. That's right. And that's much better distribution of that those resources. You bet. Buy local. Buy local. Okay. All right. Thank you very much, Ed, for being on the show. Anytime. <laughs> Literally, anytime. Right you're, you're here Tuesdays, right? Is that right? Yes. The, the alternative show is on? Tuesdays at 7, and uh, it's repeated Sundays at 8. Right here on KSKQ, which is what, 94.9? 94.9 FM. Thank you. You betcha. Um, In a couple minutes, we'll be back with the second half of our show. Now, here's a song.
Sidney Porter, Samuel Clemens, Charles Dodgson. Well, they're all great authors. Well, how come I never heard of them? Well, you would if they printed their pen names. They're O. Henry, Mark Twain, and Lewis Carroll. Well, I'll be. Those names are famous. Everybody knows them. Mm-hmm. Like everybody knows Anchor Hawking, the most famous name in glass. You are listening to KSKQ.org, 94.9 FM. Southern Oregon Jobs with Justice proudly supports KSKQ LP 94.9 FM in Ashland. Southern Oregon Jobs with Justice brings together labor unions, religious congregations, student groups, and the community organizations to improve working people's standard of living, job security, and their right to organize. Visit their website at www.sojwj.org. KSKQ thanks Southern Oregon Jobs with Justice for supporting community radio. This is Maya Seligman. Tune into my show, Maya's Mix, to hear an eclectic lineup of songs united by their titles and lyrics with a new theme each week. Visit kskq.org slash Maya to hear all the past show recordings, to offer song suggestions, and to join the Maya's Mix Facebook page. You can listen on Fridays 2 to 3 p.m. for Maya's Mix Live, or on Wednesdays at 9 p.m. on KSKQ LP 94.9 FM. He's coming around, folks. He's going to be okay and ready to play Symptom 6 of Beat the Reaper. Last week, our patient successfully survived the common cold, measles, pneumonia, dengue fever, and the yaws. And now, the big question. Are you ready to go on? What? Where? He's ready! Our topless nurse, Judy, is wheeling our patient into the isolation ward. Can you hear me in there? Okay. Let's shoot him up. Now, patient, you have ten seconds to tell us what you've got and beat the Reaper! the final threshold. Here's the question. Are you ready for symptom number seven? Longer than any patient has ever survived before. I want to go home. Only one way to do that. Doctor, bring in the super shot. Now, for the first time on Beat the Reaper, we're going for the big disease. The icebox is being unlocked by the president of the Armenian Medical Association, under whose strict supervision these toxins are being administered. This is it. Doctor, give him that really big disease. Now, patient, can you hear me? You've got ten seconds to tell us what you've got. And for the last time, beat the Reaper! I don't know, whatever, whatever it is, I, I want to die. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. That's not correct. You didn't beat the Reaper. Oh, oh. Doctor, bring the patient out and show the amphitheater audience and all the folks at home just what he's contracted. According to my careful prosthesis, this man has the plague. Thank you, Doctor. You're welcome. You've got the plague. Well, isn't he a good sport? We'll be back in just a moment with our next patient. But first...
favorite answering machine messages. Guide to the Galaxy is a science fiction comedy radio series by Douglas Adams. It was originally broadcast in the United Kingdom by the BBC and was soon afterwards broadcast on global shortwave radio on the BBC World Series in 1978. Broadcasting by the National Public Radio, one of their first to occur in stereo, in the United States, followed in March 1981, with a repeat broadcast in September. And so we continue where we left off last week, with the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy radio series. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams Tertiary Phase Sounds like a silly question, but what am I doing here? Well, you know that. I rescued you from the Earth. One of the many problems encountered in time travel is quite simply one of grammar, which is further complicated by the possibility of conducting conversations whilst you're actually travelling from one time to another. What is it? The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's actually book. It will tell you everything you want to know. I like the cover. Don't panic. You'll need to have this fish in your ear. I beg your pardon. This is prospecting Vogon Putz. This is prospecting Vogon Yang. And what has happened to the Earth? People of Earth. This is prospecting Vogon Jets of the Galactic Hyperspace Planning Council. It's been disintegrated. Your planet is scheduled for demolition. So what do I do? Well, you come along with me and enjoy yourself. The Encyclopedia Galactica has much to say on the theory and practice of time travel, most of which is incomprehensible to anyone who hasn't spent at least four lifetimes studying advanced hypermathematics. And since it was impossible to do this before time travel was invented, there is a certain amount of confusion as to how the idea was arrived at in the first place. The most plausible rationalization states that time travel was, by its very nature, discovered simultaneously at all periods of history. But this is clearly bunk. The trouble is that quite a lot of history is clearly bunk. The realization of which led to the immediate formation of the campaign for real time. It was during its inaugural strategy meeting and coffee morning, at which it was formally agreed a real time was being had by all, that the news broke that not only had the great cathedral of Chalism been pulled down in order to build a new negative iron refinery, 
but that the construction of the refinery had taken so long and had had to extend so far back into the past in order to allow negative iron production to start on time that the Cathedral of Chalism had now never been built in the first place. Picture postcards of the cathedral suddenly became immensely valuable and blank. Which is why, as a result of time travel, much of history is now gone forever. In a footnote, the campaign for real-timers explained that just as easy travel eroded the differences between one country and another, and between one world and another, so time travel is now eroding the differences between one age and another. The past, they say, is now truly like a foreign country. They do things exactly the same there. Something red. No, it goes straight past Foster and Silly on and over the boundary for four lovely runs. And now England need just 28 to win the final test on this near perfect day at Lords. Holden returning the ball and Fred Bidero thing. What on earth is that? It looks like two men and a Chesterfield sofa. Can anybody tell me what is going off? Henry, I don't know. Where are we? Somewhere green. Shapes. I need shapes. Excuse me, sir. Is this your sofa? What was that? Something blue. Shape. It is blue shaped. Like a policeman. Come along, you two. Let's be having you. Sure, we have a man mm-hmm. who seems to have a heart attack at the nursery uh, and he joins Ford, the Ford, if I didn't know I was going mad, I'd say this place looks astoundingly, terrifyingly, horrifically like Lord's Cricket Ground. Very astute of you, sir. Ah, it is a policeman, Ford. There's always a policeman at Lord's. What are we going to do? What do you want to do? Get a beer? I want to hear you say I've been dreaming for the past five years. You've been dreaming for the past five years. Come along now. All right, four and three quarters. It's all right, officer. This is all a dream. Ask him. He was in it. Dreaming, eh? Account for the dressing gown, would it? Oh, no. The dressing gown's just a hallucination, you see. It's what I was wearing when the earth was demolished to... I've got a bone in my beard. I've got a beard. Tell you what I'll do. I'll be the one over there passing out. How about that? Good idea? Officer, my name is Ford Prefect. I was born 600 light years from Earth near Beetlejuice. I am a researcher for the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Bit of a student pranks, aren't we, sir? That is Arthur Dent. He's from Earth, but has been stranded in your prehistoric era for a while. Yes, well, uh, don't let it happen again. Well, Henry, I don't think there have been any strange things appearing on the pitch since... It was in 1932, Fred. Ah, now what happened then? Well, Fred, I think it was Cantor facing Wilcox, coming up to bow from the pavilion end, when a spectator suddenly ran straight across the pitch. There's nothing actually very mysterious about that, is there? No, but he did claim to have seen something materialise at Silimidon, an alligator of some kind, if you can believe it, but no one was able to get a very detailed description. They offered to give him some lunch, but he explained that he'd already had rather a good one, so the matter was dropped, and Warwickshire went on to win by three wickets. So not very like this at all, then? Uh, no, uh, uh, for those of you who've just tuned in, by the way, two men, two rather scruffily attired men, and indeed a sofa, a Chesterfield, I think, have just materialised here in the middle of Lord's Cricket Ground. They're carrying it off now. Actually, can I interrupt you a moment, Fred, and say that the sofa has just vanished? So it has. Well, that's one mystery less. So, England now only need 24 runs to win the Ashes, and I don't think I've seen anything like that at cover point before. Except perhaps against the West Indies. How are you feeling? I'm home. It's England. It's today. I'm... Oh. Drinking tea in the tea tent at Lord's. The long nightmare is over. Why are you looking at me like that? Just... Listen, Ford, it's over. I'm finally where I belong. Nothing you can say or do... OK, OK. Thought you might like to look at the newspaper, that's all. Well, no, thanks. I've read that one. <gasps> Wait a minute. Not a word. Wait a minute. How can this be today's? I saw this years ago. The day before... That's right. ...the Earth was demolished. Yep. So that means the Earth is going to get demolished tomorrow. I think you're finally getting the hang of time travel. Uh, I don't think I can bear it again. Wait a minute. No, don't even think about it. If this is before I left, 
that must mean that I am... Don't. What? Try and phone yourself up at home. How did you know? People who talk to themselves on the phone never learn anything to their advantage. Hello, is that Arthur Dent? Ah, hello, yes. This is Arthur Dent speaking. The earth blows up tomorrow. No, don't hang up. What? Arthur, this is not my first temporal anomaly. So, finish your zarking tea and let's get out of here. This is a cover of a song off of YouTube, which I really, really like. The original song is Hide and Seek by Imogen Heap. This is a, a cover remix uh, with a rock metal feel. really like this. I hope you guys do, too. What to say mm, That you only meant well Well, cause you did mm, What to say mm, That it's all for the best Cause it is
So we're almost at the end of our show, but before we go, get out a pen and paper, it's time for Spellspeak. Spellspeak. If you can keep up, you will be able to decipher this very important message. Once you're done, be the first to email me this message at trevor at kskq.org, and you'll get a mystery box filled with toys, candy, and amazing prizes. You can also get some new music, a gift certificate for a 10% savings on your first project with Lightworks Media, and a chance to be a guest on The Alternative Show. Check out the mystery box page in the About section of thealternativeradioshow.com for this week's prizes, and for more info. If you need to hear the message again, this show will be up on The Alternative AlternativeRadioShow.com later tonight. Here we go. M-A-N-W-H-O-F-A-R-T-S-I-N-C-H-U-R-C-H-S-I-T-S-I-N-H-I-S-O-W-N-P-E-W. One more time, a little bit slower. M-A-N-W-H-O-F-A-R-T-S-I-N-C-H-U-R-C-H-S-I-T-S-I-N-H-I-S-O-W-N-P-E-W. So once again, send that to me at trevor at kskq.org if you actually caught what I just said, and you will win our mystery box prize. Some people started singing it, not knowing what it was, and they'll continue singing it forever just because this is the song that does it. Every once in a while, I get a song stuck in my head that I have to play over and over again. Today, that song is... uh, Oh My God by Ida Maria, or Ida Maria. It's from the It's Kind of a Funny Story soundtrack off of the, um, the new trailer for the, for the movie uh, with Zach Galifianakis. I'll be playing it after the closing. Coming up at 8 is um, Whistling in the Dark. If you have any feedback or suggestions or just want to say hi, send me a message at trevor at kskq.org or go to thealternativeradioshow.com for our past show archive and listen to some of our past skits and segments, subscribe to our podcast, or join our Facebook page. You can listen to our show every Tuesday at 7 on kskq.org 94.9 FM. Now here's the last word on our environment. Thank you, and good night. There's a literal attitude change about the environment that we have absolutely been witness to. Years ago, there was very little concern about the environment and the people that spent their lives trying to protect it because everyone saw resources as endless. That attitude has been changed. The people that use our public recreation areas, whether it's waterways, mountains, streams, and the like, they want their environment protected. And that's the last word. been listening to The Alternative Show, which would not be possible without substantial donations from Anna Septic, created by Aaron Tires, with producer Terry Clock and studio engineers Ida Ho and Randy Peters. Special thanks to Howie Kisses, Hi Marks, and my good friend Richard Feed, patent lawyer Meg O'Tan, Mary Kay Cosmetics saleswoman Doris Flood, and of course Al Gore for inventing the internet, without which this nearly live streaming broadcast would not be possible. All celebrity voices are impersonated unless stated otherwise during the show, which is broadcast live on location at Walt Disney's Tomorrowland theme park in Disneyland, France. Où est la piscine dans les Disneyland Resort? C'est plus bon, magnifique! Featuring the host with the most, Trevor S. Thomas, and yours truly, Alan Ray. You're listening to KSKQ 94.9 FM, Ashland Radio, a product of the Multicultural Association of Oregon.
Por 